This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the DSR Podcast, episode 8, I believe, December 8th, broadcasting from Ferndale, the Podcast Detroit Studios. I am Jeff Mist, he is Justin Spiro, and we are joined as always by our producer, Jessica. Welcome. Hey. So, <laughs> as we left you last Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, I was getting... John Paul Morosi's name carved into my head. Actually, it, it was J.P. Morosi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so or I think, whatever. you know, kind of a cliffhanger ending. We kind of finished uh, the haircut on Periscope. But uh, we, you know, we started that at about 6.30, and our show ends at 7. And I think we were here at about 1 o'clock in the morning getting <laughs> getting my hair done. Uh Excessively long. What an absolute disaster from Jump Street. (laughs) I claim no responsibility. Where did you find this guy? Like, everybody finds professional people on Facebook. (laughs) You weren't friends with him on Facebook, though, right? No, I added him. Someone referred him over. Who had done, like, my ex's hair a bunch of times, but, I mean, that guy never did it. I never have met him before. But I I told you that coming in. Yeah, no, I understand. I can't really vouch for somebody I don't know, so. It turns out that the week before, a guy off the street who had no background in cutting hair had volunteered to do it, and I kind of mocked the guy on the air. And he offered offered on the basis of how hard can it be. Right. That was his quote. In in retrospect, I think I should have gone with that guy. (laughs) Because the quote-unquote professional walked in here, Spiro. Um, He looked like he was a character out of the old HBO show Oz. Not, Not sure you're familiar with that program about prison rape. 
And I, you know, I kind of like said, I, you know, the my statement was on Twitter that if the Nationals didn't make the playoffs, I would have John Morosi's name carved into my head. That was what I said it was going to do. I thought that could be done, you know, on the bottom of my hair head or something. I had grown my hair out for weeks. This guy walks in, and there was no negotiation whatsoever. It was, no, I am going to do it this way. You, who are paying me, have absolutely no say whatsoever. I mean, I I really was running that show as soon as they came in here, as far as I was concerned. It was interesting because you were so hell-bent on minimizing the impact of this uh, incision into your head. There was no minimizing it with this guy. No. I mean, he was going for the big shot. Honestly, I don't think it would do any favors, but I don't know if it mattered if we had both been like, okay, we're going to keep this sort of like, you know, inconspicuous. He was determined to make it as embarrassing as possible. And the no, no, no. He I, didn't think it was embarrassing. That was the problem. <laughs> he thought he, – he didn't understand that what was happening was a humiliation of me because this is what he does. I mean, he does this to people and gets paid. Yeah, according to him, one, one or two a week. I thought it was a day. Was it a day? I think it was one a day, I thought. One or two a week. Like, so he didn't understand that it was a joke, and I think he thought we were making fun of him, which we weren't at all. Oh, you think so? Oh, yeah, he thought we were making, he thought that we were making fun of, like, what he does for, like, a living. And he was, like, he had, like I said on Twitter the other day, he had the bedside manner of Joseph Mengele. I mean, he was... Belligerent that was the, me. The, the doctor in the concentration camps for the, for the Nazis. For, yeah. for the, oh, the Nazis. thank you like, for the like, clarification. Like someone would say, <laughs> like you would say something, like you know, what are you going to do with this? And he would just grunt, like, Ur. like yeah, he was we, mad. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It was he. He didn't grunt quite as often as Dennis Rodman did <laughs> at the DSR fantasy baseball auction. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of that sort of guttural sound. It was very similar to my experience with Dennis Rodman when I was in the drive-thru at Burger King. So, so then we talked about it. And, you know, the name, as I was telling Jessica before we went on the air, before you got here, like Morosi is not exactly the easiest name to spell. I wouldn't expect if I just said that you have to put Morosi in my head that you would know if it's M-O-R-O-S-I, M-O-R-E-S-Y, whatever. There's a bunch of ways you could spell it. And all I did was suggest that I'll write the name down so you can look at it and so you don't misspell it. And you're like, no, <laughs> that uh, that wasn't on the table. So oh, wait, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't look didn't, at it at all? He, he didn't, didn't even look at it. At it. Like, never, it I wrote it, was it down very and handed clear. it to him, and it was like he never looked at it at all. So then, of course, he misspelled it. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought he looked at it and then still spelled it wrong. The best is when I said, he gave ooh, it a you, glance. I, I said, ooh, you spelled that wrong. He just goes, uh. Oh yeah, yeah. Then, like he uh, so he spells the, he, no, put, oops, he puts sir, an I'm e. Sorry. He puts an e in it. Then you know we're doing a show here, right? I mean, I'm got a microphone. You're talking to me. Jessica's talking to me. His buddy was talking to me. Yeah. So I'm like, tr- you can't keep perfectly still when you're doing a show, oh, especially yeah. a spaz like me. So then, when he's doing the M in Morosi, he yells at me for moving. Like he. The same guy who two seconds, you know, like who misspelled the damn name, gives me no latitude that I moved a little, and uh, 
he he was angry, like legitimately angry about the whole deal. It was <laughs> when I made that prediction, not thinking there was any chance the Nationals weren't going to make the playoffs, and I could see in July and August this was an event in inevitability. I still never could have pictured that the payoff would be as a big of a disaster as it was. <laughs> then I didn't ask him for a hairdo. I just wanted that carved in my in the back of my head, right? Well, I get you're you're laughing the whole time. I didn't know why because I can't see what's going on, but you're periscoping it and give me the reason why you were laughing the, the entire time. Oh, because it looked ridiculous. Right. I mean, it just it, it looked so nonsensical. And I couldn't say that to this guy because the guy already looked like he was going to shank us. He was already on lot. tilt. <laughs> so every time Ma- I would crack up and Moss would say, what are you laughing at? I just said, oh, someone said a, you know, made a funny joke on the Periscope chat or whatever, which was nine times out of ten a lie. I mean, there were a couple that made me laugh. But for the most part, I couldn't stop laughing at how stupid it was. So then I, then I get home. And I've got this kid in play fade, which was never part of the agreement. I mean, when did I ever discuss that I wanted the Kim Jong-un hairdo? That was never on the table. You guys are twinsies. You know, I, I know you're upset about this, but I'm, I'm still amused by it. I well, hope I you're not you're mad a, at me I'm not about mad. that. No, I'm, look, is walking around. He looks like he's going to be <laughs> rap battling Papa Doc. Yeah, we're right by 8 Mile, are we not? He's got a vest on and like a beanie. On, the, I'm the wearing black true beanie. religion. I've got, <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got a fade. Well, I mean, wait, whoever discussed that? Did, did Nobody. The, there was never. What was the name? That's what was supposed to happen. And then when you, the when you moved and the M got messed up, he was like, the M's messed up. It's, it's ruined. You're and gonna, it was. I thought he was going to stop there. And I'm like, um, okay, well. I think you're going to be put on a terror uh, watch list for that hair in homage to Kim Jong-un. I could so, see so that now really, it Really, it, it is a spitting image if Kim Jong-un had. Yeah, a lot of people compared your looks to him. And, my, my you wife, know, with that, when I walked in, my wife called me because she couldn't remember his name. She called me Mao Zhan Lao, which is <laughs> the, Chinese <laughs> restaurant, the Chinese restaurant over by... Uh, Oakland Mall. She goes, you look like Mao Zhan Lao. I'm like, holy shit. So now, okay, I go to him. I have to, I have meetings because I actually have a job other than the DSR, an insurance job, an insurance appraiser. So on Friday, I have like a seven-hour arbitration hearing mm-hmm. where I'm representing like a multimillion-dollar loss in Coldwater, Michigan, and I'm wearing my hat Your the whole cap? time. I'm wearing this... This very professional view. Yeah, right. I'm wearing this skull cap, and the, like the other like appraiser for the other side's like, "Why are you wearing that? Why why won't you take that off? Aren't you warm?" I'm like, "I lost a bet. I'm not taking it off. Don't ask about it again." <laughs> and here, I, I know we're probably going on a little long about this, but I had to get this it's off so my funny. chest. I mean, the haircut week. went on long. I mean, we were here for quite a while after. Oh, by the way, that was the other thing. So the guy's a professional, ostensibly. He knows he's coming in to a broadcast studio because he knows it's going to be on Periscope. He knew all that. Did he bother to bring a drop cloth where all of my hair was going to go? Well, I texted him and said, hey, can you bring in a sheet or something to catch the hair? Send me like rubbing or running around and like grabbing chunks of your extremely thick hair, by the way, because you have a freaking lot of it. Well, I have a Jufro, and I hadn't cut it like in (laughs) two months. By the way, so the hair's oh, yeah, all over no. the place. We have to get out of here. We finished the haircut in the hallway. The undercard, the show that follows us, uh, follows us on Podcast Detroit, I, I listened to the first few minutes of their show. 
and they were bitching that there was hair all over the place. And they were trying I to do their. I vacuumed it off. There was hair. There was still hair. Oh really? I, was, I think it was on the table or something. They were like, yeah. They well, were, then ask me to wipe it off. Well, like, that's okay. I'm not I'm mad at them. To, Look, well, I mean, no, me either. It wasn't their fault that uh, I had to. I had, you know, I looked like a dog being groomed <laughs> last week. The the last comment I will make is so. Like I said, when I made, you're when welcome. I, when thank you very much for everything. <laughs> when I made this stupid uh, proclamation, I really thought that. The guy was just going to carve it in my head, you know, like you could like like in cursive. So you'd see John Morosi. That's what I thought. That's what I thought was going to happen. I thought it would be large, but I thought it would be fancy. If you look, yeah, if you look at the website, it reminds me. Remember when we were kids, and you had those Sesame Street letters, and you'd push put them all in the bath. That's what my head looked like. It. That's what the letters looked like. There was they, he carved out completely carved it out. There was no like cursive John Morosi in my name. There's no hair there, and it looks like magnets that kids put on a refrigerator. Uh, it, it just it, it just was yeah. Awful. It's not it's not artsy looking. I thought that it would be like cool like graffiti ish writing or something like that like on your head. And it's ne- just, never again, Spiro. How is this? A never again. I'll never. Ma- I have learned my lesson. How has this uh, hair issue affected your intimacy at home? <laughs> I-, I will only say that uh, I wore the hat. Okay, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. No. Uh, my wife can't look at me without laughing. You think she can fuck me that way? <laughs> I swear, when I take it off for two seconds, she just starts hysterically laughing, like what an imbecile that she married, and where did her life go wrong? I love Melissa. I've always made it very clear I'm more of a Melissa fan than a fan of you. I would love to have Who Melissa isn't? in here. But... You, could, you can say that about just about anyone in the world. So what's uh, what's going on in the sports oh. world today? What do we we got a few things we wanted to cover today. I, I don't even know where we should start now that your hair is out of the way. Do you want to talk about Caputo? Do you want to talk Yeah, about... I want to talk about Caputo while let's, I'm let's, in a ranting mood. Yeah, let's get on Caputo. Let's talk about that putz. This, uh, I don't know, in the last few days, his Hall of Fame ballot uh, was released. He's a BBWAA member, so he's got a Hall of Fame vote. And every year, basically, he makes a mockery of his ballot. I mean, Dan Lebetard selling his... (laughs) for charity to Deadspin was more legitimate than the crap that Pat Caputo of the Oakland Press in 97.1 comes up with. If you might remember a couple years ago, I wrote a pretty lengthy article about his ballot when he was leaving off all of the players who had any steroid um, connection whatsoever. Like if there was any mention, you know, Bonds, Clemens, uh, even Bagwell, uh, Piazza, I think. There was a bunch of guys... But what was really, to me, absolutely offensive about his ballot was he didn't vote for Craig Biggio, not because he thought Biggio wasn't worthy of the Hall of Fame, which is another argument in, onto itself, but because he was friends with Bagwell and I think Ken Caminiti, he said he couldn't vote for him because of association. Like He was guilty by association, even though nobody ever had accused Craig Biggio of being on the juice. Okay, so that was his ballot a couple years ago. This year, on his ballot, he votes for Mark McGuire. 
but not Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens. This is the Drew Sharp technique. He can't believe anything that he's saying. How could you not vote a couple years ago for Biggio because of association with guys who might have been on steroids and then turn around a couple years later and give a vote to Mark McGuire, who I don't think belongs in the Hall of Fame, steroids or not, and not the greatest hitter of our lifetime in Barry Bonds and one at minimum one of the top three starting pitchers of all time in Roger Clemens. It's just a cry for he wants the attention. He's a fucking imbecile. And and this is what the issue, and it, it speaks to a larger issue in my opinion, and, and yes, there's plenty you can say about Caputo, but these writers that have an ax to grind, are they going to try to make a point or make a name for themselves with the, the, some statement they're going to make with their vote? It's so frustrating. I, I'm not sure what the exact answer is, but I would love nothing more than the revocation of the vote from these baseball writers for the Hall of Fame, for even awards, I would say, although I don't consider awards as important as the Hall of Fame. But you see these things come up again and again and again where these guys are selectively moralist or there's a sort of natural bias one way or the other towards a certain player based on how he handled the media. You know, you, you talk about media relations in, in baseball in particular. If you're friendly and good with the media, you get a huge bump. You're going to get great coverage, and you're going to get that vote if you're on the fence and if you're snarly and mean. You know, Mark McGuire was, by all accounts, sort of a shy, nice guy as a player, pretty much shy overall with the media, didn't really like the attention. And Bonds was nasty, and this is a perfect example of Bonds, who was a far superior player with or without steroids, you know, being bypassed, uh, in this case in Caputo's ballot, due to media relations. I think it's a broken system, and you have to get the vote out of their hands. I don't know where you go with it, but the Hall of Fame basically has become absolutely irrelevant. And I don't even want to get into a big discussion about that. But like I said, I've been saying the last couple of years, whatever you think of Barry Bonds, if Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame, then you might as well not have a Hall it's of a Fame. It's a sham. I mean, he's, he might be the greatest player of all time. He was a Hall of Famer before he ever blew up. And it's just this is just, like I said, Pat Caputo, is, it's almost underrated because there's so many bad people in this town, and he's kind of like, he's kind of marginalized, A, because he works for the Oakland Press, a paper that nobody reads, and B, he's on 97.1 at night. Uh, when nobody's listening, really, uh, he sits there. I think for rainouts in case you know the you know the Tigers game gets delayed. He's on at odd hours, but he's as bad. His his takes are as bad as just about anyone who actually thinks that they're a credible source. I mean, there's other you know boneheads in town, but Pat Caputo actually thinks he's some legitimate uh, columnist and sports talk host, and he's. This 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 article just fucking pissed me off because it just shows you the the, the dummies who have who have this vote and like you said I don't really care about awards that much either but the Hall of Fame is kind of a big deal. Yeah, I mean, again, you can't have it, and, and that we could do a whole show topic on the Hall of Fame vote and why that's a sham. But again, Caputo, it's interesting that this guy calls himself the book on sports. You know, I'm pretty sure that's a self-appointed nickname, and 
He fancies himself, you know what, you might not like his takes, but he knows a lot. Guy doesn't know anything. This is the guy that, you know, as we've talked about, hated the Fister trade because of pitcher wins. He knows absolutely nothing. He's still the guy that says, hey, this guy can be a 14, 15 wins in the middle of your rotation. Just the, He's archaic and, and dated, and really there's no place for him in the discussion as, as far as I'm concerned. Right, and the latest thing is he's burying Fulmer, uh, Michael Fulmer. Uh, in the bullpens, so right. he's only got two pit. Like I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure Caputo's seen Fulmer a lot of times. I'm sure he, when he was with the New York Mets in the farm system down in Double A, I'm sure Pat Caputo was down there with his radar gun scouting him all the time. Which kind of segues into our next discussion about the Tigers before we uh, hit our first break. We got a lot of topics we're going to hit today, but unlike in previous shows, uh, none of them are really any kind of long form discussion. We got about seven or eight. Topics really. This is like an old school Mossisms article in podcast form, just broad range sort of uh, DSRPTI. Yeah, DSRPTI. Every every topic will just spend two or three minutes, and at the end of the show, we're going to take some calls. We every time we've ever done that in the history of the DSR podcast, it's been a complete abomination, and we don't expect anything else. We're going in knowing it will be a shit show. You know, Pearson will be calling, so yeah. Matt Pearson is the uh, craziest DSR member, I would say, and will probably kill all of us at some <laughs> at point. At some point. The, the uh, phone number to call if you want, we're, we're probably not going to start taking calls until maybe like 620, about an hour away. But if you want to write this down, the number to call in to talk to us, ask any questions, uh, ask me anything type of deal, 248-579-5295, 248-579-5295. And you can talk to uh, Jessica and try to get on here. The Tigers have been making a lot of news. Uh, probably, I would say, maybe, arguably, the busiest baseball team so far this offseason in the uh, Hot Stove League. I, I think you can make that argument. In terms Dave. of number of transactions. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, I mean they're pure activity. Yep. Yeah. It, 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 they kind of remind me, El Avila kind of reminds me of Jose Canseco at the uh, – at the fantasy baseball draft of 2014 at your uh, dad's house. You're saying Avila's going to take a nap? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. What I'm saying is Conseco basically filled his whole team in the first half hour. It was an auction, and he just was bid on everyone and then just took a nap. And that's kind of like maybe it's maybe it's a Cuban thing. I don't know. But uh, that's what Avila seems to be doing, just filling, like playing whack-a-mole with every, oh, we need a starter, get Zimmerman, need a, a closer trade for K-Rod. You yeah. know I want to at some point, if not now, we have to touch on this Maven thing. I got to know why they're thinking that's a thing. I mean, if they're really sincere, here's 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 what I can tell you about Avila from what we've seen, and I know you've observed the same exact thing. What you see is what you get. There hasn't been one surprise with Avila yet. I mean, everything has been. He's told you what he's going to do, and he's done it. You don't have the shroud of secrecy that we had with Dombrowski where any time Scott Boris or any other sources mentioning the secret team, we just assumed Mike Gillich and Dave Dombrowski were talking about acquiring some big name. Avila has been pretty out there and blunt. And he's has, called his shot. He's called his shot. And, and then done it. And he's done it. every. He's like six for six. Yeah. So I, I – Well, I, the, again, you, you, you asked about Mabin, and it's kind of interesting that you asked that because on the way here to the studio, I was driving on a beautiful 696 – listening to the MLB network on Sirius XM, and Avila was being interviewed. And he said a few interesting things. One of the things that he did say was he, he, he definitely didn't make it sound like Mabin was like the starting 
corner outfielder in that position. He, he said basically that they're probably going to tweak something with the outfield to add another bat. And then they kind of just said, well, what about one of the bigger free agents? And he kind of just said, well, not right now or something like along those lines. I still have a feeling that something's going to happen there where Maben's going to be kind of like the Rajai Davis of 2015. I don't think he's going to they I don't think they just based on the what Avila said in that interview when he said in the past, I just I cannot believe that he's going to be an everyday player in the outfield. It's going to be uh, Maben, uh, Ghost and JD. I don't know what they're going to do if they're going to make some sort of trade. He kind of mentioned that or if at some point that, you know, one of the, the free agent market, I, I still don't totally believe that they're out on one on a corner outfielder in the free agent market. I, I won't believe it until it's completely uh, there's no chance and all those guys are signed. I think they're waiting that issue out. I just I just don't think that they're going to go into the season with, like I said, Maben, a guy who doesn't really get on base, doesn't have any power whatsoever, and is dubious defensively at this point in his career. I just. I don't see him anything being anything more than a fourth outfielder. Um, and when we've talked about this ad nauseum, and I don't want to go into it a lot again today, but I, I know it's both of our belief that they need to improve that offense. I, I know we uh, disagree. I was on with uh, Ryan Schuling yesterday in Lansing, and then after I was on, uh, Tony Paul, Detroit News, baseball writer, basketball writer, football writer, bowling writer, uh, he was on and kind of disagreed with what I had said. But I still don't think this offense is capable of winning a World Series. And, again, I think a lot of it goes into what we think Victor Martinez is. If you're going to tell me that Victor Martinez is somehow going to be a you know top five, or in that case runner-up for the MVP based on his offensive numbers alone, again, I, I feel differently, but I don't think that's realistic. I do think the Tigers will get more from him. This outfield does need to be addressed. I, I, you say, you know, you're not completely counting it out. I, I'll say this: I am counting out the biggest of the big. I, you know, we've seen Illich swooping before. I don't see that happening this time. I, I, I think Ben Zobris might be the guy they sign if they don't trade for someone. Avila again has called a shot again and again. He said flat out they're looking for sort of a a good hitting version of Don Kelly, a guy that can play outfield, can play infield, can do a lot. I'm a big Ben Zobris fan. The guy gets on base at about a 360 clip every single year, has a little pop, uh, doesn't, isn't going to disrupt the clubhouse. So I think that's a guy they'll look at. I, he's not going to come cheap, but he'll come cheaper than Cespedes and Upton and uh, certainly Hayward. So I, I, I think that would be a, a very good guy to slot in at number two. As I said, gets on base uh, at a fair clip. And and you know has a, enough power that you know he can he can pop a few out. But if they don't do something, I, I think Zobris is like the worst player they could plug into that left field spot and still have it be a good move. If they go below that talent level and try to fill it with somebody like Kristen Orfia has been thrown around as is this guy they're going to sign and you know Hunter Pierce, these guys it's not going to get the job done. The lineup is too weak and they they should have a good rotation, but not that overpowering you know guys that some of the the ones they've had in years past. So you know I'm not optimistic, but I, I think that, that they will do something something impactful. They can't roll with Maven. I just I refuse to believe that they're even planning on doing that. And then we had the whole Illich discussion last week about him saying that 
payroll is no obstacle, that he'll go and get whatever he wants. And then Chris McCoskey did his typical shill, uh, defend the Tigers, defend whatever team he's covering uh, today. I don't know if you read his column, but basically just saying, well, you guys are misconstruing what Illich said. That, you know, Illich basically said that if there's one guy that could put a team over the top, he's not adverse to going and getting that guy. Like, first of all, that's a straw man argument because there's no such thing. In baseball, there's no one guy. I mean, how many times have the Tigers thought they were one guy away and then they went and got that one guy, and we have no rings. Oh, it's such it, a joke. You know, it's saying, you know, I'll make the move if we're one guy away from being a title team. That's I think you can make that argument in the NBA where you know if you get this guy, you're either going to win it or be right there. Rasheed Wallace. They, right, perfect example. Baseball doesn't really work that way. There's no one guy that's going to be like the one that put you over the top. They can help, but uh, again – I don't think I, even if they sign Jason Hayward, I don't think this is a great team that's going to you know be a, a, one of the top two or three favorites to win the whole thing. I think, I think they'd, they'd be, be in the mix. They'd be in the mix. They'd I don't be, think they're be in the mix right now. I don't. I, I think there's way agree. way too many question marks. Right. right. I, you know, everyone thinks that Verlander's back. We don't. We don't know that Verlander could be some version in between what he was at the end of last season and what he was in 2014. We don't know. He's getting older every year, like everyone else. And he's, you know, he's not the dominant player he once was. Annabelle Sanchez gets, gets hurt every single season. We have no idea what we're going to get from him um, for any two-month stretch. There's just so many. Like you said, Victor, how old is Victor now? Like 36? 36. Yeah, I mean, there's no guarantee with him. At some point, Kinsler is going to start regressing because middle infielders at that age obviously at some point uh, start uh, tailing off. There's just so many question marks. Mark Lowe, he was great at the beginning of the first half. First half last year wasn't as great in Toronto. K-Rod, I mean, you go right down the list. There are so many question marks. All I'm saying is you've got to give yourself the best chance going into a season. You're kind of like in no man's land. If you're going to have $180 million payroll with all of those question marks – to me, you go and get one more guy who can put up a 360 to 375 OPS, bat second, and give your chance your, your team as good a chance possibly offensively, hope the pitching works out, and hope things fall into place. But I don't know. It just seems to be this flawed with that payroll butting up against the luxury tax. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think you go... That's the that's the other thing I said on Schilling's show. I mean, going over the luxury tax for Illich at this age, like it's like it's like you and you and me buying a that cup of coffee from Starbucks. I mean, it's not in the grand scheme of things, it's going to mean nothing. And this all of this BS about oh well, he's got to be he's got to be financially you know responsible with the team. Like why? This is the same guy who had. An eighty, oh, close to eighty million dollar payroll with the Red Wings, twelve years ago, and when they came out of the lockout year, the salary cap was thirty nine or forty million dollars. So this guy was spending twice as much as the cap when they came out of the the contract, the strife of the of the um, the labor CBA. Yep. So you're talking about a guy who's done it in the past for the Red Wings. I mean, you look at how much he spent for the Red Wings in relation to what that cap was. 
You're telling me he can't go out and get a Hayward or an Upton? You can't take the money with you. I don't. I just don't understand if he so desperately wants to win. Why this is an issue at this point? And, and signing one of the big guys in that two hole, Hayward. Hayward, I think, is so unrealistic. They're just not going to do it. Uh, not that I disagree with anything you're saying, but if they get one of those spots in left field covered by one of the three or four bigger names, I do like this team's chances. Again, you could say. Uh, barring major injury, which goes for anybody. But I think they would have a real solid group. But it, it, at this point is a glaring hole. You have to assume Kinsler will regress. He's just at the age that he's going to take a step back. And uh, right now that hole, I think, is too big uh, to be filled by anyone other than one of those top three or four guys and feel comfortable going forward. And, and again, I, I don't know. I'm sort of in this in-between period with this team where I'm not really sure I like where they're at Either way, I, I think you're sort of in this middling land where I'd almost rather, if we're not going to go strong and sign Hayward or sign Gordon or at least Zobrist, I'd have more fun just tearing the whole team down, which we know that's not going to happen. But there's nothing. No, they're where, in the, that's why they're in, just, this, they're in this gray area. Right. Where, I, like, I, either go for it and do what you need exactly. to do. Exactly. Go for it or, or don't. Down. Go for it but or don't. This, this middle road of plugging some holes, and, and, and we're going to go to a break. Um, Right now, and you know, right after I make this comment, but there's one thing I last thing I want to say is what's so aggravating is, okay, we haven't won the World Series, we've just watched the Royals uh, do what we couldn't do, and we didn't win when we thought we were going to win. When we had all of those loaded teams, where we had multiple Cy Young Award winners, we had MVPs when they were even younger than they are now. And we didn't win then. It's so hard to get excited about the team in the offseason with these these moves because if they didn't win with Scherzer, Verlander, Fister, Sanchez, with that rotation, it's hard to convince yourself that they're going to win with the rotation of Zimmerman, Verlander, Sanchez, Pelfrey, and Norris. I mean, it's just hard to con- – you know what I'm saying? We yeah. thought we were going to win it when we had all the- – so now it's like, well, we didn't. With every basically advantage in the world, the Tigers missed their best chance in 2013. I, you know they've made the World Series twice, and really their best team was 2013. I, that, that team was loaded, had everything they really needed, no, and, and, and the it bullpen with just, and Leland fucked it up. Yep. So it's yep. hard. That's why I'm saying it's just hard. It's just hard you know, with the Red Wings when they went through the similar build. They went and added Brendan Shanahan that you know for Primo, and oh, all of a sudden you're like, well, okay. Let's get back on the train. We still have all the same players. It wasn't like Fedorov left for free agency, and then we came back the next year. I mean, this team was still building, still spending the necessary money and adding pieces, and you felt, okay, we've got a shot at some point. It just seems like if we ever win the World Series now, which I'm dubious about, we will be doing it with an inferior team that to a team we had for two or and, three and years, which which can happen. You know, their best chance passed. It doesn't mean that they can't win it. But I do think they're in a position now where why even sign Zimmerman if you're not going to go all the way and fill that spot, that two-hole spot in left field? Why even why even bother? I, I don't get this, these sort of half steps. And we like the Zimmerman signing, by the way. But again, right? This but is but okay. Why I like even the Zimmerman signing, but he's not as good as David Price. He's not as good as Max Scherzer. Right. So that's the thing. It's like the psychological deal of yeah, I'm happy we got somebody, but he's not as good as the guys we've had. So. All right, that's depressing. We're going to take a break. When we come back, you can uh, gloat about Michigan State and keep continue your mocking of me for being wrong. 
and we'll get to some of the topics that have been on the DSR that I've written articles about this week and maybe hit on uh, the Lions. Uh, but right now we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a couple minutes. This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we're back on the DSR podcast, December 8th, episode 8 from Podcast Detroit Studios in Ferndale. Uh, I'll turn over the next topic of discussion to our resident Spartan, Justin Spiro, who will be driving in a Winnebago. Some some form of RV. We're looking out for a, a rental spot right now. My wife uh, it just had her last week of being able to fly, which we used to, to go to Florida. But uh, we will be renting an RV that, as that she, is what, her only needs she, for travel. She joined ISIS and she's on a no-fly she is not on a no-fly list, but she will be way too pregnant at that point oh, to, uh, oh, okay. to to fly. So we will be renting an RV and driving down about 18 hours to Arlington. We are very excited. Now, I, I, I must say this nine-and-a-half-point spread that Michigan State's getting right now, take it to the bank. I think they'll cover that. I'm not saying if they'll win or not. I think it'll be a close game. Alabama's biggest um, weakness really is the their quarterback play and their ability to go downfield. That's Michigan State's biggest weaknesses in the secondary, giving up those big plays. So really, Alabama's not going to be able to exploit Michigan State's biggest weakness. But I want to talk in a, a broader picture here about the general sort of tone and attitude towards this program. You've seen really this year the Michigan fan base and really a lot of the neutral people as well mocking this disrespect narrative with Michigan State. And saying that it's it's contrived and it's not legitimate, but really, which it is. You think it's contrived? I don't think it's contrived, and I'll tell you why. Just a few examples alone. You see the self-appointed um, king of the WalMarts, Greg Henson, who is a frequent DSR contributor, is saying things the day of the college of uh, the uh, playing game for the college football playoff, the Big Ten title game in Indy State's playing. He's saying he doesn't concern himself with Sparty. Their fans have only been around for the last couple of years. They're they're a nothing brand. You know, again, this this whole thing has played up this disrespect card. You have MGO blog, Brian Cook writing the biggest fan site for Michigan, constantly bombing the school throughout the year, bombing D'Antonio, bombing the team's chances, saying they're going to get crushed by Ohio State. And again, what does he do? He deletes the tweets or just ignores them when he's called out for them. So this whole this whole notion But that's that, part of the stupid cultish rivalry which I've been discussing for months now between Michigan and Michigan State. I don't think it's any sign of disrespect. Uh, Michigan State struggled for a lot of the season. And I think when they were struggling to beat teams that they should have been easily beating with a senior quarterback, with a uh, very veteran defensive line, this is a team that a lot of people going into the season thought, had a very legitimate chance to get to the Final Four where they're at. No, not uh, not really. Well, because not of Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio because, State was the, okay, the big bear blocking on, them. Only be, yeah, only because of that. But if it wasn't for Ohio State coming back with everyone myth mythological, you know, this big, you know, huge myth of they Ohio lost State like being nobody, un- right? And they had yeah. three quarterbacks, and who are they going to start? If it wasn't for that, if you just you know took that away, everyone thought Michigan State was a top. In my opinion, six or seven team yeah, in, 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 in yep. the country, and what happened was, you know, a lot of te- this happens to a lot of teams. They don't look that good week to week, and I don't think it was even me being p- 
prisoner of the moment. It was over a month's time where their, their secondary looked horrible. Teams were taking advantage of going downfield against them. You know, teams like, what was it, Maryland, Rutgers? I mean, these were not good teams. And I don't think it was out of bounds to, quote-unquote, disrespect Michigan State by saying, I don't think they're going anywhere because they just don't look like the team we thought they were going to be. Now, they obviously cleaned things up. They they beat Ohio State in Columbus, which I will not take anything away from them. But the juxtaposition that I made the other night on the DSR Facebook page, the Darko Facebook page, yours, uh, was that, look, the Lions on Thursday night had a game wrapped up. It was one. You didn't see any Green Bay fans having delusions of grandeur that they got anything but lucky winning that game. And my issue is, I I don't understand why Michigan State fans, they won the game, you're going to the Final Four, you've got a chance to win it all. Why can't you acknowledge that you were lucky as shit to win the Michigan game, just like Green Bay fans know that they had no business winning that game. It's I just don't see any difference in that. Well, again, I think it's a... Uh, and I don't think it's the, disrespectful to say it. You no, know that, you know me. I don't bleed Michigan blue. I can't name six players on the team. But I just think as a casual fan watching the Lions-Green Bay and the Michigan-Michigan State, I see no difference. That's just me. And that's fine, and I'll say this. I've seen in my lifetime Ohio State win two national championships in seasons where they were barely squeaking by bad teams uh, all year. So I, I think that whole thing— And people was, still take away from Ohio State's national championship against Miami saying the game was over and they never should have won, and Michigan fans— and, 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 Okay, but that's—and that's bullshit. I think you but can it's take all, that it's all every— it's all cultish. It's all the cult. It's all—you can't give any ground. It's like—it's almost like— a couple in a, in a marriage where they're always fighting and they never want to give any ground. That's what I see the Michigan Michigan State thing as. Like I don't why Michigan fans can't understand that that Michigan State won fair and square in Columbus. I don't care what Urban Meyer's game plan was or with offense. I don't care. Michigan State won that game with a quarterback with 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 their number two and three quarterback. But in the same sense, why can't Michigan State fans admit that they had a point? 0-2 chance of winning the Michigan game, and they're very lucky to be in the situation they're in. I just don't see that there's any sense of of common sense when college football is discussed in comparison to some of the other sports that I like to follow. And again, you're you're picking out pieces uh, along the journey. The, at the end of the day, the college football playoff is extremely difficult to make. It's it's going to be. I think you'll see over the next few years. You'll see the teams that don't get in that don't make it you'll be astounded at some of these programs that can't get in some of the bigger names it's so hard to get into that four and I don't care what breaks you needed along the way I think just about any team in that top four in the next 10 years with maybe a couple exceptions sprinkled in is going to have numerous significant breaks along the way and again I think I think you're right I, I do think Michigan State fans are disingenuous if they don't point out that they were very fortunate to have that play go down as it did I also would like to point out I thought Michigan State outplayed Michigan for much of the day and you know that some games just work out funny sometimes. But, but that I, game was over. Just like the no, just like the no, Lions. I'm not saying it like wasn't. Said, but the Lions outplayed Green Bay for a large portion. Michigan of the game. State had to play pretty well to even be in a position to be one breakaway. You know, again, and, and that's one that got away from Michigan. I would say D'Antonio's first game against Michigan in 2007 is the one that got away on a fluke bounce. I don't know what's flukier. Uh, uh, 
punt being uh, fumbled or blocked in that situation or having a quarterback sacked fumble the ball and have Mike Hart pick it up and run for a 25-yard gain in the fourth quarter. The only reason Michigan State lost that game because of a quarterback fumbling the ball and a running back picking it up and running. So again, can we, can we talk this, about the game for a second though? Cuz I mean the Iowa game? The I I mean Kirk Ferentz, you you should be sending, you know, a bottle of champagne and some flowers to that guy because how can you let what happened in the last 2 minutes of that game occur? You you cannot let a team go on basically, what, a nine-minute drive and never get the ball back. I mean, they basically, other than, you know, what did they have, 30 seconds or something? What was it after Michigan State? They, they basically like had no 20, chance. 27 seconds. 27 right. seconds no or something outs, like that. Yeah. You could, they should have let them score. It was, to me, it was a no-brainer. After, they got, after Cook got that first down on fourth and two, you've got to let them score. You're 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 going to be down a field goal at that point against a team with a horrid secondary who's probably going to be playing in a prevent defense. To me, the odds of stopping Michigan State from getting those what extra four yards to get the touchdown after they've uh, they've already had play an eighteen play drive at that point, the odds of you stopping them versus getting the ball back with maybe a minute and forty five seconds left and only needing a field goal to tie the game to send it in overtime. It worked out so perfectly for State, and Ferentz was a major part of that, I think. Well, there's no question. I, I, I have no problem. You know, there was some chatter on Twitter during the game, the live tweeting saying that he should have let them score earlier than I thought he should have let them score. Up until Cook's first down conversion, just barely on that fourth down, you have to do everything you can to keep him out of the end zone. No but, argument. Right, but at that point when you have first and goal from the about the two, two-and-a-half-yard line, uh, you have to just let them walk you in. Let them score. I, I mean, that's what I. That's what I would want Michigan State to do in the same situation. Now, how many coaches in college I think would do that? Two, maybe. I mean, I, none that I even know. I'm just going to say there's a, probably a few out there. Uh, really, NFL, it's the same thing. Belichick would let them score, maybe a few. It's it's just sort of a, an issue with coaching in general and how that was handled. I will say, just as far as big picture with the game, I think Michigan State wins not big, but easily. You know, by seven to ten, with no real doubt at the end. If Cook is even eighty five percent, I mean, just missing. He missed two. Cook, Cook looked severe, severely injured, he, badly injured. He he had two guys. He had he missed Burbridge early on in the game on the first drive in the end zone on a throw that he would make in his sleep healthy, and he missed McGarrett Kings on a drive later. Two touchdowns that Cook, if he's healthy, he makes those throws easily. He kept two bouncing balls just, to guys. Like he just had no arms. He had he he was trying. He threw that little sideline pass to Lang, uh, the the backup tight end. It would have been a six seven yard gain even if he got hit right there. Guy just bounced it to him like he was throwing him a practice ground ball in little league. I mean, it just it was just strange. He was a shot. He was shot. He looked so much better against Penn State to regress. Well, he took that big hit. They think uh, oh, may have been it. It he took one big hit, and that the throws were all it, pretty early in the game, and the throws were all over the place from there on. But I so again, I've just never been a big respect guy. Though I've heard, and maybe maybe why I've never been a big respect guy is because I've been hearing the respect label thrown around with the Lions for so many years. Whenever the Lions got get good for like four or five weeks, they start. Beating their you know their yeah, chest. Totally we get no respect. Though. We get no respect. I just don't care about respect. Go in, go win. If you win the national championship, you beat Alabama and either Clemson or Oklahoma. 
Nobody's going to dis- disrespect Michigan State. Okay, I can Just win. I can. I see. I can only believe it or not. Plenty of people still would. The people are still going to cite the all-time record and all that nonsense. But if for me, per- I can only speak for myself. For me, I don't need a Michigan fan to, to pat me on the back and say your school's doing a great job. I don't need that. I think a lot of Spartan fans do. I'm not. I'm commenting just as a as a form of judgment. I'm not saying please give me the respect or give my school the respect. I need it personally. I'm commenting on. Hey, I think you're an embarrassment for not giving respect or for minimizing. Again, you don't even have to say anything. You can stay neutral. You don't have to blow Michigan State or D'Antonio. But this constant poo pooing. We've seen it on the Darko Sports Drag, the DSR. You see it all over the place. Anytime Michigan State wins, it's. Ference is an idiot. Meyer's an idiot. Well, Meyer looked pretty good against your team in Ann Arbor. I guess he got selectively dumb for the second time in four years against Michigan State, second in, in three years in this case. So, again, there's, I'm this, not, no, there's a constant effort to minimize. Everything's qualified. You know, is Michigan State just the luckiest fucking team on earth, or are they doing something right? And you just don't see that given. So I don't think I, I don't need that personally, but I am going to... It seems uh, like you do. No, I, it's not. You've been, you've been I, going nope. on a diatribe for days about uh, post nope. retweeting anytime What's, anyone disrespected Michigan State, Mahir, Bahatnagar, me, why well, do that? I do that with bad takes in general. That's not an exclusive Michigan State issue. But you know what? You want to talk about that it's some major issue for me. It's an issue for me in general. It's an issue for me poo-pooing somebody or something unjustifiably, and especially when you're proven wrong. And it's not a Michigan-Michigan State bias in this case. Feel free to take advantage of the Twitter advanced search function. Type in my account and type in the name Harbaugh. I'm the biggest Harbaugh slap. I was bombing Michigan State fans constantly, and I still do, for poo-pooing Harbaugh. I I was the biggest crusader of that mission. I was the one killing the Michigan State fan base, saying they're making themselves look ridiculous for saying Harbaugh is not going to turn that program over overnight. He turned that program around even faster than I thought. So again, I'm an equal opportunity guy. Everyone knows I'm a Michigan State fan. Yeah, of course I have bias. I think everyone does to some extent. But I'm equal opportunity bashing this. I think Michigan State fans looked ridiculous for poo-pooing the Harbaugh hire and for poo-pooing Michigan's legacy and overall status in college football. They're always going to be a bigger brand than us at Michigan State. I admit that. And I think Michigan fans look ridiculous for poo-pooing Michigan State's success and qualifying every win along the way. I think it goes both ways. I think this whole well, college thing. if anyone's still things, qualifying Michigan State, then they're idiots. Oh, it's out there. It's they, all over they, the they beat Ohio State Greg with back, Henson. Greg Henson They beat Ohio State with backup quarterbacks, and they beat Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game with a severely limited Connor Cook. These so, people make themselves look stupid. That's and what it's I'm not saying, a because, it's, because it's, they they're not rational. It. People can be rational about the Lions. People can be rational about the Tigers. People can be rational about all of the professional teams. They're just a very low level of rationality when it comes to Michigan, Michigan. But tell State. me honestly, do you not think that I'm? I've been pretty fair. If I think Michigan's yeah, I, doing I the do. right, thing. If, do. if Michigan's doing the right thing, I, I praise them and say that I love what they're doing. I do think you're fair on that. I do think that you you fall into the disrespect um, trap. I just don't. I, I just think. Why, just I, I just wouldn't give a fuck. I just wouldn't care. I mean, just you should. I mean, your team. You got the number one basketball team in the country. You've got a team that's in the Final Four. I wouldn't give. Two fucks about what anyone in Ann Arbor thinks about anything. I think most of the Spartan fans do. Again, I uh, does it affect me? Does it make me mad that they don't give me credit or give not me personally, but give my school credit? 
No, I really don't think it does. It, I, I, I'm more pointing out the abhorrent behavior like I would with anything else. No different than I wasn't personally mad when I saw Michigan State people poo-pooing Harbaugh and I called them out for the same behavior. So, again, I, right. I'm commenting okay. on the general That's conduct. fine. I just wanted to have the discussion just like Don Chiao. Wanted, wanted to have Don, Don, Don Cherivino. Yeah, it's incredible yeah. how many Benedict Arnolds are in this group when you think about there's, it. I mean, there's, just, there's quite a few. How many? I've been betrayed more than Caesar. <laughs> you have. Uh did, they, did anyone nail Don Chiravino's uh, hands to the uh, Senate doors? What are you talking about? No, that's just a... That's oh, an oh, ancient, oh that's the an Caesar ancient, reference. That's an ancient yeah. Rome reference. Sorry. Okay, yeah. Um, guess you didn't watch the TV show Rome. Nope. Is there anything that we need to hit on with the Detroit Lions? Is there anything you want to talk about? Because I really am kind of fatigued talking I mean, about this franchise. I, th- I think we covered it. You know, really, there's this general sense which you and I disagree with that Jim Caldwell has a very real chance of being back um, you have a little inside info um, not enough to, I, I don't we, think he's, there's any chance not he's coming that, back from what you've heard uh, just from uh, everything just, I just don't think there's any chance he's coming back I don't have any inside information on this I, I as a Lions fan have that uh, sort of syndrome right have sort of the beaten dog you know I'm, I'm on edge I'm, I'm never going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they'll do the right thing I think it's always a safe assumption that they'll screw it up so in that sense I have a fear of Caldwell being back but if I had a gun to my head and had to pick right I would think he would be gone and I, I think it has to be done I mean we've covered that ad nauseum he's the worst coach in in football literally ranked by USA Today I mean, in game management last. in game management he's the absolute He's, he's, a, he's, he's a joke. I mean, and, and what he did last week is just almost unbelievably bad. How many articles? ESPN had one. I saw Yahoo Sports had one. How many articles were written breaking down the the art of defending the Hail Mary and how the Lions did everything wrong? I mean, how they made four or five critical mistakes. There's like a list of seven things that you don't do, and they did five of them. Yeah, I mean, it's just like having the sideline guarded, only rushing three, not, not having calling Calvin, a timeout, not calling a timeout, not having Kelvin Johnson back there. I mean, it's it's one thing, you know. Oh, they made a mistake. How do you make like five mistakes on one play? I mean, it, it's almost unspeakable that they would have that play so poorly defended again if you it wasn't even a difficult play at the end of the day i mean it was like a normal catch and pass i mean i know it was 60 yards but the guy wasn't even really defended he the ball just like landed there was nobody even it wasn't even like a hard catch i was talking to my good friend colin cowherd uh, about this please uh, a couple a couple of days ago, my dear friend Colin Coward, who sent oh, me a nice message saying that he's rooting for Michigan State in the college football playoff. But Dan Tone, when's uh, Coward going to be on the show? Uh, according to him, he uh, has to wait until Fox eases their restrictions on him appearing on non-Fox outlets. But we are optimistic in the future. But you know, but he he shared an interesting anecdote. He talked to one of the assistants for the Patriots. Didn't tell me who. But said that Belichick has a philosophy, Bill Belichick and New England's philosophy, generally, if you had to pin it down, is to do what the other team doesn't want you to do. What would I not want done to me? And it seems simple, but most people don't think that way. You know, w- would you want the other team to go for it on that fourth and one, or would you want them to punt? Usually you want them to punt. You don't want them to get that because that would be a momentum killer. Again, what does Aaron Rodgers, what do the Packers want you to do in that situation, in that Hail Mary spot? They want you to rush three. They want Calvin on the sideline. So it, you played right into it, right into their hands. If the Packers could pick the defense that they would want to face in that Hail Mary spot, the Lions hit every one of those bullet points. So, uh, again, I, I, I think when you have a guy like Caldwell, 
that is so inept in every facet of in-game management, clock management, strategic placement of players, how to play certain situations at the end of a game. He, I think, in my opinion, the worst game manager I've ever seen in Detroit sports. The worst. I think he runs a great clubhouse, so to speak. He's Leland. You know, well, even Leland wasn't this bad strategically. Pretty bad. I, I agree. Terrible. No, believe me, I agree. I, I think Caldwell's worse. I think Caldwell is is the absolute worst. And I think I think it's more damaging. I, I think a football coach has a, a much greater influence than a baseball manager. I well, think, the funny I thing is, really, that. a head coach shouldn't have that many decisions during the game. If you really think about it, there's like four or five. Probably that's a lot of delegation of the coordinators. Yeah, I mean the coordinators yeah. are running the show most of the time. Coordinators do more in game, no question. All, basically, it comes down to things like: should you go for it on fourth and one if you're at the forty-seven of the opposing team? You know, should you kick a would field goal? It would or have punt? beaten Dallas. I, Twenty-five of the coaches in the NFL would have beaten Dallas last year in the playoffs in that game. I mean, Caldwell not going for right, that fourth. That just right. uh, not even having Golden Tate on the field in the spot when they go on third. I mean, just. How about the fact that he can never admit really when he's wrong, which is, you know, it's such a horrible trait. Like, there's just just no real um, sense that he will, you know, just because you say everything goes through me, the buck stops here, that doesn't mean anything when you are asked individual questions of why did you do this, why did you do that, and you say, well, we're just going forward. I'm not looking back. I'm not going to answer questions. There's no accountability when you do that. That's fake accountability. It's fake accountability. It's it's you know, do you ask a question? You ask any normal human being in the business world a question like, do you wish you would have uh, brought in Jim Bob Cooter earlier and gotten rid of Lombardi, based on the results that have occurred over the last few weeks? A normal human being would say. Oh, of course. You know, in hindsight, yeah, I wish we would have made that move sooner. Things weren't working out with Lombardi. Didn't work out last year offensively with Lombardi. Jim Bob's changed things around. Yeah, I wish we would have done it a couple. It's like he views any type of comment like that as a sign of weakness. When instead he would be humanizing himself as opposed to looking like, you know, the comatose idiot that he is. And it really is generic go-to, and he, he's used it repeatedly and used it in the situation with the Hail Mary. What he says whenever he's cornered on these things is, oh, well, you know, I could have done it that way, and then if something else went wrong, the people would be saying that was dumb, and you can say these things in hindsight. That is, that is his favorite thing to say, and it's outrageous because these aren't hindsight issues. These are issues that we're sitting there wondering, where's Calvin? Why are you rushing three? Well, here's the I mean, thing. It, here's the thing on that, hindsight. on that play. If you call a Hail Mary defense – and they start doing hook and laterals, you still have a good, very, 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 very good chance of stopping it because hook and laterals almost never work. You can count on probably one hand the times that have worked. And, you know, that's why the Stanford band gets played over and over again because it almost never works. I can think of probably seven or eight Hail Marys just in the last three months of college and NFL that have worked. So if you call the Hail Mary defense, you're still going to most likely 99 out of 100 times stop the, the hook and lateral that they're going to try is you just witnessed the play before on the face mask or fake face mask, whatever you want to call it. Right. But 
Obviously, anything just, can happen anyway, but right. would, would you, I mean... Nobody's going to criticize if you call a right. Hail Mary defense from the 40-yard line or whatever it was. Right. Nobody's going to criticize and say, why didn't you have a hook and lateral defense? Nobody's right. ever in that, the history of the world going to say point. that. That's my point. You know, anything can happen under any set of circumstances, obviously. But I, you would be an idiot if they had the, a proper defense installed for that moment. And then by some flukish bounce and they throw, throw the ball around for three minutes and they somehow get in, no one's going to say, oh, well, where's the coaching on that? I, I, mean, I think he's gone. I think he's gone. You can't let Aaron Rodgers get the ball from his spot in the pocket to the end zone untouched. A, a guy's open. How is that guy? How is Richard Rodgers even open in that situation? I, I think he's gone. I think he was gone whether or not they won that game um, or looked like an, the imbecile that he is. Because I just think Rod Wood is going to want to put his stamp in Sheila Hamp on this franchise. You can say, you know, people think that Martha Ford's running this show. She's not. It's her daughter, and it's going to be Rod Wood. And what is the benefit for them if things turn around and Jim Caldwell and Sheldon White are the, gen- are the people calling the shots? They're going to say, well, that was what was going on anyway. You didn't have anything to do with this. They're going to, they didn't hire Ernie Acorsi to keep these people. And you're going to hire a GM. And they're going to replace Caldwell. It's just it's going to happen. I know why you're saying you, the psychology of being a Lions fan and going through PTSD. I understand that completely. You know, I'm going. I've gone through the same thing to the point where my nerves are completely raw, and I just don't care anymore, and I don't root for them. But I just don't see any any way that they're coming back. Which is you know, and I, and I said this on Twitter the other day. You know, people say, "Oh, everyone wants a, uh, the house cleaning, complete house cleaning." And yeah, I want ninety nine percent of the people gone. But if you had someone who understood in game management, when to punt, when to go for it, um, you know, when to call a timeout, just the basics in a head coach, I wouldn't even be that averse to keeping Austin and Jim in Jim Bob Cooter. I really wouldn't. I mean, I think you've seen enough from Austin over the last year and a half that he's a credible defensive coordinator. And I don't know. I think Jim Bob Cooter probably, you're going to go, who are you going to go get this any guarantee anyway? I don't even have a problem with those two guys if when a new coach is hired, they bring those guys in for interviews. And if Austin doesn't get a head coaching job somewhere, uh, I wouldn't have a big issue with those two guys coming back, would you? No. No, I mean, well, Jim Bob Cooter, it's such a small sample size. You know, I don't know. I, I, I'm indifferent. He seems to be an, an improvement over where they were at, which isn't saying much. Austin, I really hope they do keep. You know, and I, I, think, I think Jim Bob Cooter understands the concept of having to throw the ball to set up the run game. I think he yep. understands that. And to me, an offensive coordinator, that's 95% of the battle in this era yeah, yeah in this era that's how it with is the, with the pass interference rules and the defensive yeah. uh the defenses being at really at a um disadvantage when the ball is being thrown i think that's a real a real threshold that we for an offense and I've, i think i think he's been doing a pretty good job and i think he would only get better i would have no problem with those two guys back it's not like everyone's got to you know yeah obviously i want bill keenest and all the scouts and all those people gone but i think we've seen enough from austin for sure and I, you know that i wouldn't be upset if you just got a credible head coach who understands analytics and when to do things 
Uh, you could go get the New York Times fourth down bot to coach this team for all I care, and I think you'd be better off than Jim Caldwell. I think it'll be interesting what they do if Caldwell is gone because I would argue, you know, it's debatable, but I would argue in the range of 8 to 10 real NFL head coaches, guys that don't have serious flaws up and down. Uh, you know, again, a lot of people don't like Andy Reid, but he's a real guy. You know, Pete Carroll, Tom Coughlin, who might actually be available, by the way. There's, if they if, nobody's perfect, I, no one's perfect. To me, but will they Bill, hire a real guy? Is the question. Right. Uh, Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick to me made one of the biggest blunders in the history of coaching in the Super Bowl last year by not using his timeouts before that fortuitous interception. Because we were in the same situation as the Ferentz Michigan State thing about them getting the ball and having time with Tom Brady to go back down and score after Seattle scored. He's not calling timeouts giving his team any chance to win if, if Seattle scores a touchdown there. Uh, so nobody's perfect, but, I mean, you, you couldn't do any worse in-game-wise than, than Jim Caldwell. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in this offseason with the Lions. Hopefully they're going on the road for, what, three of the last four games. Hopefully they lose you know, all If you're a Lions fan, hopefully yeah. they lose all of them and they get a top-five pick because I think where they sit now, I think uh, Burkett tweeted out today, they're number 10. I mean, that's just... <laughs> I mean that that's crazy. That and where was the who'd they get the last time they drafted tenth? Do you remember? Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Great, great hands. You want to talk about before we go to the break, a couple of DSR articles yeah. that we posted this week. Yeah, let's t- let's hit on them. I think we should hit on the Foster thing, which was um uh <laughs> I mean in our ongoing saga of covering Terry Foster, this this one was pretty good. Uh if you if you didn't read it Foster uh, has been forced out by the Detroit News, taking a buyout. He's in retirement. And almost it, before he's even officially done, because he's still covering Piston games, he's not even, I think, probably done at the end of this year, I'm guessing. He's already taken a gig as the Oakland University Golden Grizzlies insider. What? I, the guy doesn't even know anything about the pro sports teams in town. This guy's is he going to become an expert overnight with Oakland basketball? He's, Forget that for a second. Can you imagine you worked for 27 years at the Detroit News? And, you know, it's one thing. Michael Herrick covered the Lions for like three decades for the, for the same paper. And then when he got forced out, he went to work for the Detroit Lions, which, okay, I, we have a lot of questions about the integrity of that. Uh, being a shill for a team, taking a paycheck from the Ford family. But at least you were working for the Detroit Lions. This guy is going to be covering Oakland University basketball, a Horizon League team. They're probably like, what, the sixth or seventh most relevant basketball team in the state? I mean, Michigan, Michigan State, maybe a couple of the directional schools, U of D. I mean, they're right in that mix of maybe fifth. Or, I mean, this is not any prestige job and you're like do you hate your family that much that you need to get out to Oakland University to watch basketball games do you need the money that much when you've when you've got when you're on the number one rated sports talk show in Detroit really the number one p.m. drive show period forget sports or otherwise what are they paying Terry Foster that he's got to continue to take any gig that is thrown at him I mean He's opened up three, uh, a candy store, two restaurants. Uh, he's we, he's shilling on his Instagram for Infinity, doing advertisements for Infinity on his Instagram and like Twitter. Like, do you have no shame? What is your nut that you just have to take? 
you can almost understand when Matt Derry embarrasses himself with you know tweeting out about restaurants and where to get a car wash and whatnot. You you get that, or to get a free dinner at the. Uh, at uh, Vincetta Garage or wherever. I mean, I mean you yeah. understand Matt Derry embarrassing himself is is one thing, but Valenti and and Foster are a powerhouse show. I don't know what Foster's salary is at ninety seven one, but I would imagine it's ample. I I, I don't know if it is. An I'm issue not so sure. You would you would well, well I, ample enough that he doesn't he unless he has a spending problem shouldn't need these other. I mean, all uh, I know is that his last contract negotiation was very uh, full of strife. It came down to the wire. He's he, making six figures, I'll he, bet. He, you know, six I mean, figures doesn't go as far as it used to. I mean, uh, no. But when you, you live in West Bloomfield and you've got two oh, kids, they're going to okay. go to college, no, that, and that's a fair. I point. I mean, he makes I, even a hundred and a quarter. And his wife, I don't know what his wife does, but the point is, how much could be Oakland you even being paying him to be a shill to cover Greg Campy's basketball team? The problem with I don't this, understand it. The problem with Foster, I, I believe, this is my opinion has a decent level of knowledge with most of the pro sports teams, and he's just flat-out lazy. The guy doesn't try. I don't think he's – I think he's a dumb human being. I don't – I think he knows pro sports pretty well. And if you actually listen to him – I thought his sports doctor show back in the day was pretty good. He he has some solid sports takes. He just doesn't care at all. Where he's always been weak is college basketball. It's his weakest spot with on the sports spectrum. And he's weak on Michigan State and Michigan basketball, which are very high profile. And what you have is you have a very lazy guy going into a new arena and is supposedly going to do a good job here. Uh, well, let's to, talk I, about his level of desperation in the past, okay? Uh, yeah. One, when, when, when the DSR started, the guy had a meeting with me trying to, bu- trying to weasel his way into the website where he wanted to turn the DSR, which was an online thing, obviously, in starting in 2003 when newspapers were obviously decreasing in popularity and Internet sites were increasing. He wanted to take our website and make it a Metro Times-esque weekly newspaper. And he wanted to be the face of it. He wanted to go out and get advertising for it. He was going to use his name. He was going to leave the Detroit News. I mean, this was a meeting that you, I had with the guy at Mr. Joe's where he laid out his entire plan for the DSR moving forward. I mean, this is not something I created in my head. So there's that. And as I wrote in my article the other day, this is a man who went into a bar business with a habitual drunk driver, a man who's got five DUIs on his record. What? I mean, are you kidding me? That's who you went into the bar business with? And it's so ironic that the day he took this Oakland University gig, I got a picture from a DSR reader of Mariachi's Cantina slash Cactus Jack's, his last defunct restaurant, with a tax bill from Chesterfield Township slapped on the window with chains around the door so nobody could get in because they want they're going to take the uh property inside i guess if they don't pay the bill i mean this is this is this guy are you not embarrassed he know you've got to know everyone in the media reads the website they're all they all follow this and he just it just it's just one humiliation after another what's his what's the next business going to be african-american ralph cramden What's the next get-rich scheme? I mean, do you see anybody else in this area tweeting out infinity ads on their Instagram? Do you have no shame? And and again, it's an embarrassment, and it's particularly an embarrassment coming from him 
there are a lot of members of the media that make a lot less than that guy. We can we can have a dispute over what he makes at 97.1. He was double-dipping Detroit News and 97.1 salary for a long time and was still just embarrassing well, himself. He was, yeah, well, I that's mean, the thing. That's the thing. Like, he was making good money right. because he was making six figures at both jobs. Right. And now he's lost half of his basically – his income. And you almost understand it now, but I mean, he was embarrassing himself when he was double. Oh, no, he was. I mean, that's yeah. it, it, it's unbelievable that, again, you have the failed candy store at Lakeside Mall. Failed in under a year, I believe. Foster's Smokehouse. By the way, they left a, a, a trail of bills and that were. That, and there's a pattern yeah. there of that. I mean, Foster's Smokehouse lasted, what, five months? And, then, four and, months, and, and not and, only does it last that short of a time, when we cover it and post that. The place went out of business. He goes on Twitter and tells people that he sold it to another person and they made money. And they money. made money, yeah. His, the, so insecure. They were, bu- they, were, they were bought out. Yeah, they were bought. A failing restaurant that couldn't pay its bills and had tax liens against it got bought out and he made money. I mean, is he going to claim that he made money on Mariachi's Cantina? Oh, I, I, would, I would bet that he would claim What's that. he going to claim? Yeah. Someone and, bought him out. And, he, and he's so delusional or insecure, he's saying that the Detroit News didn't force him out, that they wanted the guy who was the bad boy's beat writer, they wanted him to cover the team. They wanted him, not a younger guy. He's, he's just nuts. Either that or he's just a complete liar, which I think is, I, I think is closer to the mark, because he's, he's just a fucking pathological liar. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's... I think it, I think it is more on the side of pathological lying because let's face it, as delusional as a human being may be, does that guy really think is he under a true delusion that Foster's Smokehouse was a positive, successful financial? Yeah. Ad- I mean, no, he's lying, and and that's been you know there's been a trail of lies with this guy for a long time. Again, anyone that would claim that he was bought out, where, where that, that location at Foster Smokehouse is still unoccupied, so far as I know. And where is the uh, where's the buyout there? Who came in there, and why would they buy that out? And I think we'll see a similar claim with Mariachi's Cantina. The guy's an embarrassment. He, there's nothing that's too low for him. He'll do whatever he needs to do to make a buck, and when it blows up in his face, he'll lie about it. I mean, that's just he is what he is. That's what he's been really the whole time we've been covering him. Uh, that's just that's who Terry Foster is, and really, no one should be more thankful than for any other human on earth. And that guy should be thankful for Mike Valenti. I mean, could you imagine oh, what God. a mess this guy's life would be? be in Mike, the streets. I mean, Mike Valenti saved him. He, the guy was on the outs with the whole town. He was a just total afterthought. He was going back guy. and forth as a like a seven string guy in WDFN. And he, he was dead. His, his career was dead yeah. in the water, and Valenti threw him a life raft and, and continues over a decade later to prop him up. Do you have any comments about the article about the hockey jockey, the disc jockey at uh, the Joe Louis Arena, who I wrote a two thousand word piece proving that I have absolutely no life, dedicating uh, many hours to researching. Uh, and working with uh, Jump Pete and uh, some others on the site to create the, the playlist from last Thursday night's Red Wings Coyotes game and just documenting how awful uh, the in game presentation going on at Joe Louis Arena in the music selection of what, what did someone say on the DSR? He looked like Colin Cowherd if he spent his entire career in Hartford on some AM station, this guy, the T. Campbell, the hockey jockey. Any comments on that? I, just, I love that he thinks he's cool enough to go like by the initial, like he's got some cool. I, to even call yourself a DJ, I likened it to Twitter as it's someone like a – it's like a short-order cook at McDonald's, some somebody flipping burgers, calling themselves a gourmet chef. Like he's kind of a DJ, but I mean I think it's disrespectful to – 
you know, the real DJs in the world that actually play something other like than – Like Paris Hilton. <laughs> like this guy looks up the Billboard Top 40 for each year and then just kind of picks from that list. There's no sort of creativity and it's the same thing over and over again. You're hearing the same shit you heard, you know, EMC, Unbelievable, and the same shit that I heard when I was Lit, going to these games. Sing-alongs to bare years, naked ladies. Ten years old I was hearing these songs at these games. And you know what the sad thing is? It's working for them, and we don't like it, but the fans eat that shit up, which is where I'll, I'll defend. Do they? People are always singing, South Detroit! <laughs> well, like, no, I mean, yeah, you know, and I, they, anytime, they, anytime they play Lit, My Own Worst Enemy, Cars in the Prior, they sing it for like a full minute after the, the face-off. So I do think people eat it up. Not the, not the greatest intellect for Red Wings fans down at the gym. Well, that, again, I, I think they're, they're pandering to their crowd. So that's where I'll actually defend this guy. Um, I believe me, I agree with the sentiment that he, he his selections are terrible and trite and, and over so over-repetitive, it, it almost makes you want to throw up. But the fans are still eating it up, and I think at the end of the day, his job title is to keep the fans engaged with the music and get them into it. So I think he's – It just seems so doing. tired. It just, oh, I, I, you walk into that place – and there is no difference, basically. If you close your eyes, you, and, yeah, it's just, you, you yeah. can still see the Russian Five. They're playing the theme to Friends. You're playing the Rembrandts at a at a at a hockey game. I mean, what? And when a new song does like break into the list, it's whatever like is the number one song on the radio that that week. I mean, garbage. It's, it, it's nothing like dance outside music. of the box, right? Right. And you know, it, it's all cliche. It's, it's the worst I've seen it. I in can't the NHL. drive fifty-five when Nick Cronwall scores a goal. Could I mean you couldn't you, take a sledgehammer to me? That, that's how subtle that is. It, there's no, there's no creativity whatsoever, and it really it, it speaks to the entire in-game experience, which I thought was going to change somewhat when Tom Wilson left the Palace to go uh, work with Olympia, because at least. I don't, I'm not thrilled with everything they do at the Palace for Piston games, but it's a lot more lively and, I would say, current than the same dog and, you know, dog and pony shows that they bring out every game for the Red Wings. It's, it's every night you can, you, can, you can take your watch and time it. The military introduction, um, it, it just – everything is just – it's just, it's Groundhog Day down there, and it's boring. And if you go to a lot of games, it's very noticeable to the point now that I can't even watch a game on TV. I don't know if you do. You pay like in the last few weeks, pay even closer attention to the garbage songs that they're playing. It just now it's just driving me crazy no, that, that, a, you, that we've all pointed you've it actually, out. You've actually made it worse, you know, by, by this being a, a DSR bit now. As far as Tom Wilson, you having optimism for him changing the brand or the presentation, the in-game experience when he was hired. Tom Wilson was hired with an eye on that new arena and, and cultivating the a whole new Red Wings experience. I can't speak to the DJ, who I think will probably be coming over with uh. Uh, with the rest of the luggage. But I do think I, – I mean I know from speaking to my dad who's been down there and seen all the models and gone through you know the whole season ticket holder and sweet holder spiel that they are bringing the best in-game experience. So the fans are certainly trying to. They're, they're making a concerted effort, and Tom Wilson is driving that. So I think you'll see Tom Wilson's influence, and I'm very excited for this new arena. I can't even tell you. I mean, we, we, again, that's like – next year we'll, we'll cover that. But I, I, I do think it'll get better. But for, for my uh, two cents, and you and I have both been sports arenas and, and stadiums all over the, the country – I think the Joe is the worst game experience in terms of everything but the on ice or field. As products. I said in my article, the place was outdated the minute it was built. 
it's been bad from day it's, one. It, yeah, it's just I mean, it's, it's structurally it, flawed in so many ways. When you do, when you compare it, I mean, it's amazing to think, and it's almost incompre- incomprehensible how close the palace was to it. The palace was only built ten years yep. after the Joe Louis Arena, and you walk in the palace today. We went. We've gone to a few games this this year. It still looks like a, it still seems like a new arena. I mean, that place is still state of the art, and it was built, I think, in 1989. The first thing I ever went to see it at the, the at the palace was a Def Leppard Hysteria tour concert in the round. That's how old the palace is. It's ten years uh, newer than the Joe Louis Arena, and it looks like it's about. There's like a 60-year age discrepancy. Well, and it, it, was, it was better to begin with, you know, even if they didn't do any of the renovations they've done at the palace, but they've just invested in the property. I mean, the, the, there's like a new feature in the palace every season now, and, and Davidson was good at putting money into it at, at various points, and Gore's has been incredible. Uh, it, and they've done nothing with the Joe Lewis except exactly. for build some ex, uh, bathrooms on, the, on, on, on some, on some – ra- I don't know what you'd call it, how they did that, but there's yeah, some extra like, path. That's all they've done. Pretty much. I mean, there's been no uh, major changes structurally. It's it's an absolute nightmare it's down a, there. It's so bad. And, you know, I wish this I wish it was this was the last year and it was next season would be the first uh, year of the new unnamed arena because I it's, it's going to be just night and day when that opens because it's really, thank God, the on-ice product for so many years has been outstanding because it's really... There's no reason to yeah. want to go to a game for the you know other than maybe the Little Caesars pizza. I mean, there's no there's not even any good food out there uh, other than basically you know that. It's just it's just terrible. And I, I think they're going to go from the worst in-game experience in the NHL, maybe in sports, to one of the best. I mean, and that's what they've been talking about, and they're making that a major point of emphasis. Is obviously you always want the on-ice product to be good, but they're building the stadium. They want it to be the crown jewel in the NHL. They're looking at what everyone else has done with the newest arenas, and they're saying, how can we mimic that and make it better? So I, I think the contrast, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I wish it were Racist Cop just sent this message, which is unbelievable. The Palace is the second oldest arena in the NBA. Only I've Madison to, Square Garden is older. Although, I don't know if you're still listening, uh, Furman, but I would think I, I would think the, where the Warriors play, that guy, that's newer that than the Palace. Oracle? That's insane. I, Maybe yeah, it is. I don't know. I'll but, take his uh, word for it. But the last, the last topic before we go to our uh, last break uh, of the evening is: I think we should probably hit on this real quick since people seem to be interested. The 105 Detroit sports ratings uh, came out for the month of uh, November since our last show, and the ratings are still absolutely putrid. They put up a 1.2 rating for November compared to 2013. November was a 1.3 when they didn't have the Pistons. November of 2014 was a 1.4 when they did have the Pistons. Now it's a 1.2. Obviously, the changes have not worked so far. They're not going to work. The internal numbers, I've been told by one Jeremiah Fick, that Drew and, and uh, Mark Fellhauer's ratings for the uh, PM Drive, uh, they've taken a, a, a cliff dive with Drew Sharp and Matt Derry, which anyone in the world could have figured out was going to happen. You paired a guy who nobody wanted to listen in middays with one of the most hated people in Detroit sports and Drew Sharp. And not a guy you can hate listen. Just No, it, just it, like it's, it's a, a, a guy who's got a speech impediment 
with sport with horrible sports takes. That's a good combination to put on PM Drive. It's a, they've been a disaster, and you got to wonder. Jason Dixon, the former PD there, got fired for the same numbers. Got run out in so many words for the they same number. Better. They were better. Yeah, <laughs> they were better by point. <laughs> one. I mean, just negligible. He was going but, up. It was like one point six or the, something. The point is, that, how long are they going to roll with Dave Shore? I don't get how you can have professional training and have a, a job. This is your job. This is where your training is, where your experience is, and you roll out a cart with Mark Fellhauer, Ryan Ermani, Drew Sharp, Matt Derry, Rico Beard. These guys I mean, that are if you would have done, if you would have brought in, let's just say you said, okay, we want to bring in twenty five people who listen to. Uh, Foster and, and Valente at that at, in the PM drive. You brought 25 people in in a focus group, and you said to them, our plan is to bring Drew Sharp, a guy who's never done anything ratings-wise in this town. He used to be on DFN. He was horrible in PM drive at DFN. He got replaced with Belizean in Kowalski uh, because the ratings were horrible, and they moved into morning, which they ended up kicking him off, and I think it was just became Matt Shepard. So you've got the history of him being a ratings failure. Everybody in Detroit knows nobody likes him. He's got no following. If you would have put in a focus group of 25 people and said, oh, this is what we're going to counter-program Valente and Foster with Drew Sharp and Matt Derry, it had been 25 nothing. This is a horrible idea. This is a guy who is from Los Angeles, has no idea of the market, only knows, you know, well, Drew Sharp's a name, because he draws cheap heat every once in a while and ends up on ESPN because he votes he, he puts Michigan State seventh uh, when everyone else in the free world got him in the top five. Twenty thirteen, he had him like fifteenth at the end of the not at the end of the season, but right before the right. Rose Bowl. The guy <laughs> he's a, he's just a, a a poor man's Skip Bayless, but Skip Bayless has a history of being able to draw ratings. Drew Sharp is a man with a stutter who has no business on the radio with his takes or with his the way he speaks, and you put him on, what do you think is going to happen? The funny thing about Fick's uh, post, I don't know if you saw it on the DSR, but... We have an idea who his source yeah, is. He but. says, well, Belusian's numbers are up over Derry, and uh, Derry's numbers are down from Lane. Oh, and, and I was like, oh, yeah, I wonder who's self-serving... Uh, information that is. I mean, where did Fick get that? His buddy. Not that it's not his true. His buddy, Belie- I believe it's true. Yeah, I believe it's true. Because uh, Belizean, say what you want about Belizean, but Belizean got, got a following. Ratings. He's got a following. He's got a following. He got ratings at DFN when Sharp couldn't. Um, and it's just. It's I, just think, I think Sean does a nice job. I, I, I think know, Sean I, will end up probably getting. He didn't want the PM job, I'm told. I'm told he was offered the afternoon job at, at, at uh, 105.1. He didn't want it. It probably He probably was probably smart. Probably didn't want it because he knew that it was going to be a disaster. The thing, the and thing, then he could sh- he could at least show that he had an improvement right. over Derry. He was definitely going to take a decrease probably from Lane. The thing you're going to get with Sean Belegian is you're going to get a guy that's going to talk sports consistently, and he's a pro of a broadcaster. He's not going to be stuttering like Drew Sharp. I mean, he he just handles the technical aspects of radio very well. I know Belegian is very polarizing. Uh, we have a long history with him, both personally and just in the context of the website. I think he was. I think he's the best thing going at that station right now. Maybe not saying a whole lot, but I think he's a guy that can at least move the needle a little bit. The rest of that lineup is just an absolute disaster. I don't know why what they're thinking over there. And I think Belegian is solid. I don't know if he's good enough to 
overcome all the inherent disadvantages of the management over there. I mean, it's just been a, an absolute nightmare from day one as far as I'm concerned. You built a station, a sports station around Drew Lane who doesn't know anything about sports, who thinks putting a Detroit Tigers hat in his Twitter profile picture somehow lends him some credibility on the issue. So I, I think they've been a nightmare. And at some point, I mean, do they just pull the plug? I, I, I predicted they would last two years. I've already been proven wrong, I guess. I mean, they've hit that mark, I believe. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been two years. It's been like almost three. Two years in August. So, two years. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. But I, I'm trying to get the internal numbers because I'd love to see the drop-off uh, from Drew Lane to Derry and Sharp. Like I said, it's just—it's not hindsight that this isn't going to work. Oh, predictable failures. It's just—it's just—it's just an embarrassing that Dave Shore thought that there, this had any chance. It, nobody wants when to they, hear when they when they when they've announced the lineup for, and altered it every step of the way. We've said it wouldn't work, so it's not hindsight. We've said as soon as the changes have been announced that this will be a disaster, and the ratings have bared that out. All right, we're going to take a final break now. If you want to call in, I'm, I doubt anyone will call in. I'll put it on Twitter. The number is two four eight five seven nine. 5295, you want to ask Spiro or Jessica or myself any questions, um, we, will, uh, we will do that. We'll also talk about uh, Tom Kowalski's annual charity event that's going to play, take place next Thursday at the Lodge, uh, and we'll, we can discuss that in some past uh, run-ins that I've had over there. But we'll go to a break. Once again, 248-579-5295 if you want to call in and ask any questions on this week's DSR podcast. This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we are back for the final segment for tonight's DSR podcast. Justin Spiro, Jeff Moss, being produced as always by Jessica with no last name. She, <laughs> she, she's just cannot, she's just too, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I'm a, it's a secret. It's a secret. Just, it's, she's kind of like Madonna. Rihanna, no, no last name. <laughs> Cher. We're lucky if we get a middle name. I think Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, Jessica. That's Sarah. my Facebook. <laughs> that is your Facebook. So uh, we are going to take a call uh, from Ryan in Royal Oak. Hopefully, he wants to bomb us because that'll make it more entertaining radio. You there, Ryan? Yes. What's going on? Sorry, no bombing. Damn! I come on, man. I can't tell you uh, the amount of times that I've had to I've listened. When somebody calls on a radio show, it's, hey, guys, how you doing? Good. I always thought that they could make uh, when the oral history of Detroit Sports Talk Radio was written, that would be the title of the book. Hey, guys, how you doing? Would the, would uh, the subtitle be, I was telling your screener, dot, dot, dot? <laughs> I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> long, uh, time, and, long time, first time? All right, and I give you credit for only repeating your call-in number twice as opposed to every uh, two minutes, which... Well, it's not uh, working because I think you're the only call. So you just keep talking. Yeah, did, did but you I consult? Mean, how many, did, did you? How many people listen to uh, 97.1 don't know what the call-in number is? Ryan, you did know? you consult with Rob Otto on the rules of calling in a radio station before this? No, one? I remember he he did have that show where he wasn't allowing people to say how you doing, but I don't think that show lasted too long, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he should adjust his rules a little bit. <laughs> so right, what, what's, right. what do you got yeah, for us tonight? He, what do you got? Well, he's now got his own rules at Winning Futures. I hear. Yeah, one thing I wanted to touch on was just uh, the guest you had last week, uh, Prashant. That was uh, some of the best radio that I've heard uh, on sports in a long time. Uh, it was a, an area of, uh, that I didn't even really know anything about was advanced metrics in hockey, and I hope you guys have him on. 
on a semi-regular basis because uh, I really found that to be a valuable discussion, and I was kind of surprised at how he exposed the, um, I guess, the the foolhardiness of, of throwing these guys out there, these fourth liners out there against the, the best line. I don't know if, if they're still continuing to do that. Honestly, I don't follow hockey. No, they, they actually haven't been doing that because um, it seems that uh, they've got more trust in Larkin defensively, and it seems like, especially since Miller went down, they're playing either the Datsuk line or the Zetterberg line against the first line. And I'm, it'll be interesting to see tonight. we got a, a big game. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be listening to this archived over the next few days, so the game will be already over. But the Wings against the Capitals, it'll be very interesting to see what Blaschel has learned because that one game that, that I actually – Spiro and I went to the Fedorov Retirement or Hall of Fame game. Uh, that was the game Ovechkin got 15 shots against the Glendening Miller line, and I, it'll be interesting to see if you know a Blashill doesn't doesn't have the uh, last line change tonight because it's in Washington, so he'll be at maybe a little more the mercy of you know the Capitals uh, what they're going to want to do. But I'm hoping that uh, we do have one of the top two lines going against the Avenchkin line because Washington is one of the better teams in the league. They're very hot, and it should be a pretty good challenge for a Red Wings team that's got a point in 10 straight games. So it'll be interesting to see. Any other questions before we let you go, Ryan? No, I want to mention one thing. I I was uh, walking to lunch today, and I was walking by this coffee shop in town, and I'm looking in the window, and who do I see sitting there – working away on his laptop in jeans, a jacket, and the flat-top haircut was Tom Luand. Oh, wow. And I had, I had half the mind to walk in there and say, you know, something like, um, you know, working on your applications, buddy? <laughs> was it an Irish coffee he was consuming? No, I was surprised, actually. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was after after uh, noon, so, you know, I was kind of surprised he was in a coffee shop, but... That's a, that's a little that's a little odd. I don't think I would be like in a public place if I was him like for a few months. By the way, did you, I, I didn't read this, but someone uh, told me that Mark Snyder from the Detroit Free Press uh, suggested that Tom Luan be considered for the athletic director of U of M. Did did you anyone see that? Did you see that, Spiro? Nope. That's a real interesting. Yeah, you know, I gotta say, and I know your history with Mark, but I I did work on the newspaper in Michigan for a year with Mark, and you know, yeah, I always thought he was a lot brighter than uh, maybe how he turned out, but I guess that's neither here nor there. Yeah, anyway, well, I appreciate I think, the show, guys. Thanks for the uh, call, yeah, Ryan, the call. and uh, I, next time bomb us because we deserve. It. <laughs> thanks I'll a lot. All right. Uh, Can I hit my favorite segment real quick? Yeah, let's give out the number one more time. Sure. Uh, 248-579-5295. I was hoping when we were in the break and that guy named Ryan called, I was hoping it was Ryan Theory, um, Foster's partner in crime on on restaurant endeavors, but unfortunately it was someone who actually likes the, the website. So, yeah, the favorite feature of Spiro every week he gives us the week that was in Detroit Sports Talk Radio. Uh, go ahead, Justin. All right. This was the wonderful week in Detroit Sports Radio topics. These are all real topics from the combination of 97.1 give, ticket. Give, give us one at a time, and then Jessica and I can act like we're – she can act like she's Jessica – excuse me, Sarah Foraker, 
and I can ask, act like I'm Bill McAllister, and we can discuss these these topics. Well, if you wanted to discuss each one of these inane topics, we'd be here until uh, Well, we can Friday. just like, throw out quick uh, ones. Okay. Uh, how about this? What is the most time you have ever spent hanging Christmas lights? Zero minutes. Jessica? Like a day. Oh, wow. Okay. Next. I'm Jewish, so I'm, Next. I wouldn't disqualify. Oh. <laughs> and I, my, my wife's a shiksa, and I make her do it. You so. have a holiday tree, though. I do have a holiday tree, but the shiksa is, is the one who has to put it up. I have... I have nothing to do with it. People call it holiday trees now. That's so funny to me. Well, the, when you're I atheist, know. You I know. I gotcha. Moving to the Detroit Tigers, Doug Karsh's wife is obsessed with Christmas. Are you in the holiday spirit? Are you no. guys in the holiday no, spirit? No, I'm not in any holiday spirit. I was yesterday when I heard a Christmas song, but I don't feel especially, you know, doesn't seem holidayish. Like, is weird. that what I say? It's is weird. that politically it's just, correct? It, it's like 17 no. days away, and it doesn't. It just maybe because the weather has been so mild. Most well, yeah, we haven't gotten like eight feet of snow. Just and one storm. I haven't gotten so. stuck anywhere in my jeep. These are good. These are good topics. <laughs> See, these, are really, these are these are great. Gonna, let's these reduce, are beautiful. Let's reduce it to like a sentence or less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, here sorry. Yeah, these got to be that. quick hitters. We'll be here for a long time. Right. Uh, do you guys believe in jinxes? No. 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 Next. What was the most fun holiday party you have ever attended? My annual holiday party at my girlfriend Virginia's. You're talking Killer to Kowalski's holiday yeah, party. Yeah, we, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> well, this is. Are you guys shopping on Cyber Monday, which already happened? Did you guys shop on Cyber Monday? No. That? No. How good is your memory? Terrible. <laughs> these are real. These are real. <laughs> topics. Excellent. Yes. Go on. Oh, these are real sports topics. These are sports these are, topics. These are sports topics. I was these just checking. Yeah, I is, didn't know if please, this was just please, regular talk radio. Up. Okay. Or? This is sports talk. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. These All are right. what the sports the stations sports are discussing. This is the last seven days alone, and I, I don't even. This is li- terrible. I don't even list all these. I mean, I, I have to limit. He's got to skip some. I have twice. I'm not as huge many. on sports, but I don't really call those sports shows because they're talking about just normal talk radio shit. Well, to their credit, this is very sports oriented. What annoying habits do you have? Oh, it is extremely sports-oriented. What annoying habits do you guys have? I don't clean up after myself. Um, I interrupt people constantly. Okay. <laughs> How about this one? This is a great sports topic. Are you excited for Superman versus Batman? <laughs> Absolutely not. I didn't even know that was happening, so no, but sort of now, yeah. And concluding this great segment that is my favorite on this show, where do you think ISIS will hit next? I... Where will, wait a second. Everywhere? That was a question? <laughs> yes. Where will ISIS hit next? Yes. The, what kind of question is that is for a sports talk news radio? Or? This is Detroit Sports Radio. Wait, that's not even a topic. This should be something you shouldn't, even, you shouldn't even talk about that. Why yeah. would. That's, that's ISIS, not even something what, what, you should even discuss. They want to know what. I, that's a real topic. What's ISIS's next move? What did they do? How could, you, you don't see that correlation? They just hit. A work party in San Bernardino, California. I mean, you could pick anything. If they're if they're attacking, if terrorists are attacking parties for Christmas parties for work. Yeah, that's pretty. I don't know a bowling bad. alley in Sandusky, Ohio. I, I mean, what? You know, I used you could to, say anything to that question. Uh, that's that's that's. I'm going to answer definitively and say somewhere. Yeah, I'll just say that I had a very good relationship with ISIS on Twitter. I followed about I followed about <laughs> oh twenty five. Oh my god! I followed about twenty five. Oh look, there's a SWAT team outside yeah. already. <laughs> uh, I, I, no, you don't understand the, the 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 anonymous group that has been shutting down these Twitter accounts uh, and reporting them uh, has really affected my social life. I had daily interactions with many members of ISIS and He's their not supporters. Lying. And I would just did I, you just consider Twitter a social life? 
Yes. Okay, oh, I just I mean, wanted to make sure and that I happened. Would, I would just yeah. distance myself. Do you see what I do in my free time? I, well, I, you know, it's I, I didn't want anything to do. You're in touch with people. <laughs> I didn't want anything to do with him talking to members of. I would. I would tag. I would. I don't tag. either. I'm. I'm innocent. He would also. tag me, and I'd start freaking out. I don't want to be. Well, that's because my name. My get, name. You'll get hauled in there. My name, <laughs> especially with their new haircut. <laughs> my name. My name is on Jeff Moss so DSR. I don't go by Darko State News, like where they have no idea who he is. You can find me very easily. People have found me. People on Twitter who don't like what I've saved taken Google images mm. of my house and tweeted it so to me. So you look the part, but is Justin a terrorist or is he not? I got to admit, I got my, my – oh, you were – I'm glad to hear you were kidding. Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, very un-terroristy. For, right. for the three people listening that don't already know, I, I had uh, an extensive list of, of people on Twitter that I followed before the crackdowns closing down these accounts. And I made a habit of tweeting at them, asking them opinions on the Tigers. And if <laughs> he was I was asking ISIS members about like the Lions head coach, they would po- <laughs> they, they, they would post they would tweet this thing you know about death to the infidels and America will pay. And I say you know okay that's that's good and all, but what do you think of this Brad Austin thing? But you'd also did you get a reply? Oh yeah, yeah. What did, you got replies from all the time, <laughs> all yeah, the yeah. time. What was oh. the reply? Like we hate the Lions so much. Was, oh, it was usually just question but, marks, and you know, would, they would call. There's a certain name they have. For for, uh, it's Did not, they say it, who is the Lions? <laughs> no, well, they, first of all, they had no idea what I was talking about. Obviously, I mean, some guy in you know the Middle East has no idea who Brad Ausmus even is. Uh, but it, I would tweet things at them like I would uh, I would have like a Microsoft Paint drawing like cartoon oh, stuff. Oh, don't even go there! Don't even go there! Don't even talk about that on the air, please. <laughs> that, that you should never have done that. I will not be. Don't, sen- I will not be. We will. I will censor that out of the. I will censor that out of the replay if you even mention what you did. I don't – please, I don't want bo- okay, have to wear a bullet. Will you at least tell me after? We'll tell you please. after. Okay, I will tell you, you after, but I will not tell you on this show. Needless I will to say, beep you out. I, that's fine. You know, I, I Just think of what the most offensive thing you could do to a member of ISIS, and that's what he was doing. Yeah. I, I we'll don't know. I don't show. know them personally, so yeah. I'm not you sure. You can tweet that on your them. own account, please. Thank I've you. I've done it many times because I'm not, not I, afraid of these psychos. So, uh, yeah, I, I will not be. You should be. No, I shouldn't be. No one should be afraid of them. If they get you, they get you. You have a be, be, yeah, that's, that's like saying I'm afraid of every day of being in a car accident. This is awesome. You're a thousand times awesome more. sports talk, by the way. I'm not yeah. even going to lie. Well, the whole segment's based on Detroit Sports Radio masquerading, uh, you know, as this sort of. I know. Uh, so I, it's I was actually, picking out what you're throwing It's down. actually quite appropriate. But, again, you know, this sort of fear, fear that it's ridiculous. You have a much better chance of being in a car accident. So it's like, that's am I going to walk around being terrified? of a car accident all day. No, like, but you don't also have to take a bat to the hornet's nest either. Well, I, I like to take a, a nuclear bomb. To he the, likes to stir the pot. All right, so... I am ne- still here alive and my neck is not wounded. We'll talk about it next week, but a week from Thursday, uh, the annual um, Tom Kowalski charity event it used to be at the Brew House in Kego Harbor. It's now at the Lodge in Kego Harbor. It's become very corporate, but uh, we will still be in attendance trying to raise money uh, in honor of Tom Kowalski for the charities that uh, he was involved with prior to his passing a few years ago. Uh, so anyone who wants to come in, uh, talk to either Spiro or myself, we will be there. Um, supposedly a big DSR turnout, I'm hearing, so that'll be good. Biggest of all time. Biggest of all Seven. time. <laughs> Seven. Yeah, as long as uh, members of ISIS don't track you down for your Microsoft Paint <laughs> drawings. Well, thanks for joining us this week on the DSR Podcast. Hopefully we'll be back next week with another uh, wonderful edition 
of the DSR on the radio. Have a good week, everyone. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Jessica. We will uh, now tell Jessica what kind of infidel you are. (laughs) This is a previously recorded episode.